Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games games released each week. You can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. It's time for your daily LSU baseball update with Musso at the box. Now, Matt Musso. And welcome in to another edition of Musso at the box. Remember, get subscribed up as always. We appreciate you doing that, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, there's available. You can really just Google Muso at the box and it pops up on multiple different uh, podcast platforms as well. You can find it there. Get subscribed up, please. Helps us so much. And when you do that, hit the notifications. That way, anytime one is posted, especially when we're out of season, kind of like this, you get the notification, makes it super easy to find the show. Follow me on Twitter, at Musso Matthew. Link is posted there, and updates are posted there, uh, of course, as well. I am extremely excited to do this episode right now. I've been chomping at the bit all week, honestly. And, And part of me was like, you know what? Let's just push it to Monday and have the clean start. But I couldn't wait. I mean, I'm sitting here, you know, watching, staying up till midnight, watching the draft on Sunday, the first two rounds. SEC media days for football kick off, kicked off, you know, Monday of this week and ran through yesterday. And the first two days of that, you're running around like crazy for media day stuff, but also keeping a very keen eye on the draft. Like you've got the draft tracker notifications on, just watching, watching. It is. It was, I mean, chomping at the bit, okay? Chomping at the bit. So I'm very excited to get going with this. And and honestly, I don't even really, you know, I was sitting around thinking about trying to organize thoughts, making a little rundown or something. Really don't know where to start just because there is so much that I want to say. And so much of it, from my point of view, is extremely positive. I don't really know how you can look at it any other way. But I thought, okay, here's what we'll do. Let's just start with a recap of the draft itself. Then react to what's coming in. End with how they get the roster to the number they need it. And let me tell you something. The NCAA, shocker on this one, right? The NCAA did no favors with this rule. And especially, you know, in favor of college baseball. Yeah, can't have any of that. So we'll get to the new rule for 2023. It can get a bit confusing, but we'll go through it as slowly and as clearly as we can so it translates over audio. So we'll do that and talk roster numbers and then kind of just outlook as a whole 
early, you know, updates and position battles. Because, look, we said the whole time, right? This is what was said. It was a hell of a lot of fun. A hell of a lot of fun to watch Jay Johnson just pillage the transfer portal in the month of June. I mean, man on a mission, he was relentless. But it wasn't the be-all, end-all. The draft is the be-all, end-all. And when we did our shows on the transfers he brought in, and everyone wants to anoint, you know, Dylan Tabrock as the Friday night guy. Oh, well, then Christian Little. We want to announce Christian Little as the Friday night guy. Or then even Thatcher Hurd. You had to wait for the draft to pass. For those transfers, for your class, and now that it has, you have a much, much clearer picture of what LSU looks like in 2023. And let me tell you, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So let's start kind of just by recapping the draft itself. First round gets underway, cruising through it a little bit. Justin Crawford is the first name that comes off the board uh, for LSU. Not a surprise, right? Knew that guy was not making it to campus. Knew he was going to sign, and he will, and you wish him the best of luck. Yeah, that's one, but not a surprise. You go forward. The Boston Red Sox are on the clock at number 24. They take Mikey Romero. That was a little bit of a surprise in the sense that first round. Mikey Romero was thought to be a first-day guy, though. Like that it, it, it was, he's just the ultimate pick off of his potential. And they, somebody was going to take him on the first, first day, either you know the first round, which was the least likely, but a, a, one of the comp rounds or the second round. He went in the first round. So that part surprising, the fact that he went that, uh, with the fact that he went early enough to not honor his commitment, not surprising. Bummer. Obviously, everyone. You know, we've been aware of Mikey Romero for a very long time. As soon as Jay took the job, Romero decommits from Arizona and switches to LSU. And he's just been very vocal about the LSU Tigers and and fans. You know, he's a fan favorite in this class, but he's a really good baseball player and he's going to have a chance uh, to make a, a really solid big league career. So not a surprise there. You can live with it. Robbie Snelling goes off the board in uh, compensation round A. And that is... Again, not surprising, right? I mean, Snelling, especially his senior year of high school and like the last prospect circuit he went to, really started to flash and ended up up at 98 miles an hour regularly from the left side. The kid has an absolutely wipeout slider. You're just not going to get big, big bodied kid, not going to get him here. And, and you didn't. And again, but you were expecting that, not a surprise. Jacob Mizorowski, he was throwing 100 miles an hour out of JUCO. He was a late add to the LSU class. They really had to press, press, press to get him to even commit. His eyes were always on the pros. We talked about that. You weren't surprised there. So, again, it's going well, right? You're sitting there watching. This is going pretty good right now, man. You're you're into round number two and kind of chilling. And Tucker Toman still hasn't even come off the board. and Got a lot of questions on Twitter about Tucker Toman. And, man, he's sliding, he's sliding, he's sliding. I said, look. It, he's going. It's inevitable. He will be drafted, and he was before the end of the first day in that second comp round. Am I surprised he lasted that long? I am, but and it has everything to do with signability, right? 
Tucker Toman, do I do I think he signed for the eight hundred and forty six thousand that his slot value was? Probably not. I think he maybe probably got a little bit over that because they were probably able to sign somebody else under slot. Somebody maybe like their first pick, Brandon Biera, uh, Brandon Barriera, who was a Vanderbilt commit, but he was never one of the guys rumored in that class to pull his name out of the draft or not. It seemed like he was always focused. So maybe you get him under slot. Tucker Toman's the same way. Tucker Toman was never really rumored to be leaning towards LSU. Maybe you can get him for a little under under slot than or under his number that he wanted. Maybe instead of eight forty six, you get him for a million or, or so like that. It, we don't know their their numbers or whatnot, but that one was always kind of just felt inevitable because the smoke around it was always he's going to the draft and he did, and you weren't surprised. So out of those, I mean, five that went on day one, you said okay, that that makes sense. No surprises. We expected all of them. And quite frankly, that leaves you in a good position, which you didn't want, you know, with somebody like Brady Neal popping up on day one or, 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 or you know, like a, a Chase Shores or something like that. That would have been, that would have been the surprise that you, you weren't hoping for. So you feel pretty good after day one. You go into day two and it just, it gets even better. It gets even better. Michael Kennedy comes off the board early to the Pirates in the fourth round. And that's a bummer. He's one that a lot of people wanted to campus, but it probably just wasn't ever going to necessarily be in the cards. He really started to flash late and, and shot up boards. And, you, you know, he, he takes that money and moves on. And uh, you wish him luck. It's wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it's one that you hated to see go. Uh, and then you keep going and keep going. And you finally get into round eight with nothing. And uh, then Dylan to Brock, the transfer goes off the board. And that one, I will say, I was a little surprised at. Um, but he was a kid who, you know, said if he gets his number, I mean, he was on, he was on AFR with Matt in the afternoon on 104.5 ESPN and told him, you know, if he gets his number, he's, he's going, like he's signing. Uh, he got his number and he signed. I, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't really know if teams would take that chance on him. I thought maybe they wanted to see him do it at a at a higher level conference or whatnot, but the stuff is plenty good enough. Four pitches and he's up to 96. So, I mean, it makes sense. So you lose him and that that's that's a little bit of a bummer, but it's not, it, again, it's not the be all end all. Um, and that's it for day two. And you couldn't have hoped for anything better than that. You lost one signee, one transfer. And we know rounds one through 10, that's the real sweat. That's where you have that guaranteed money. After that, it is no guarantee that anybody who's drafted is going to sign. Because teams have gone through most of their, you know, pool, you would think, a bonus pool. And you're trying to get guys on, you know, income deals, basically. Unless you still have a little bit left over in those early, early uh, rounds on day three to piece together. And that's where we come to Paul Gervais. And this one, this one hurt LSU fans, and I know it did. Uh, so Paul Gervais, after day two of the draft, tweets out that run it back, you know, Tiger Nation, let's run it back. That he's he's returning for school, and it was met with great fanfare. And and why wouldn't it be? Paul Gervais was fantastic for you last year. He was arguably your best reliever. Statistically, he was your best reliever. Uh, second on the team in appearances, a sub two ERA, way more strikeouts than walks. Was throwing ninety seven from a six ten arm slot. He was fantastic. And 
Then in the 12th round, the New York Mets draft him. And that tweet promptly gets deleted. And Paul Gervais decides to go. And you don't hold it against him. You don't for two reasons. Number one, he should have been drafted in the first 10 rounds. The fact that he was, I think the Mets got a steal. I'll be honest. The fact that he wasn't is, is foolish to me. Does the slider need work? Absolutely. But he was able to show you a little bit of it in that regional. Like later in the year, you saw it a little bit more. They'll fix it. They'll fix that. But it's a 6'10 guy who ran through the SEC as a closer with a sub-2 ERA and can get it up to 97 from a funky delivery and at the height of 6'10". I was floored he wasn't taken in the first 10 rounds. So when he decides to go and take that money, I don't blame him. What they probably did was they were able to sign guys under slot and maybe get closer to Gervais's number or maybe Gervais signed for a little bit uh, under what his number would have been. They were able to get it close, but not quite to it, but close enough. Those things happen. We talked about, and that, that's the whole thing about the, the unpredictability of this draft and what makes it so stressful. We talked about the Christian Cairo angle so much leading into the draft where he's on, you know, the draft comes and goes. He's on campus filling out classes, but it's still before the deadline to sign. And the Cleveland Indians called him and they were able to free up some more money and boom, he's got a shot. And he goes. He gets up from the desk, stops filling out classes, and leaves. And is now playing minor league baseball still. Things like that happen, and that's just, that's Paul Gervais. So it's it's disappointing, but it's also one of those things, don't be sad that it's over, be, be glad that it happened, because you got a great year out of that kid, and he loves LSU and will tout LSU everywhere he goes from now on. A surprise to me on day three was Jack Pineda. I'll be brutally honest. That one surprised me. Uh, also in the 12th round, Pineda goes off the board. Um, I really didn't know. You didn't just hear much about him. He himself, in an interview uh, on 104.5 ESPN, mentioned that he didn't know where his name really stood in the draft. But, you know, it's just going to be about the best opportunity for him. The best opportunity for him was the Major League Baseball draft. Round 12 is apparently where he stood, and he signs with the Royals. And uh, that that's in at the time, that wasn't one that really bothered me because they'd done such great work on the infield. And it might still not, but let's continue here. Um, continue going. You had one more transfer drafted, and that was Carter Young, shortstop transfer in from Vanderbilt, switch hitter. That was in the 15th round. We're going to get back to Carter Young because that's interesting, and that has something to do with the impact on how much Pineda's decision to sign means. And then you had two more two more um, signees go off the board. Brady Neal in round 17 to the Brewers and Jaden Newt in round 19 to the Brewers. Brady Neal has already announced that he is coming to LSU. And that is a massive, massive get. Brady Neal is, he is one of the best catching prospects LSU has gotten to campus in a very, very long time. Maybe since Michael Papierski. That I would I would say probably since Pap, best overall catching prospect that they've gotten to camp, to to just campus, and the bat is ahead of where Papierski's was coming in, so it it might even be better than that. Um, but that's the type of player you're bringing in, and he has a shot to compete for that starting catcher's job immediately, immediately. 
Then there's Jaden Newton. Jaden Newton got drafted in the 19th round. Y'all, Jaden Newton was a top 100 draft prospect. Like, he was a first five-round kid. He got drafted in the 19th round with pick 582. There has been no confirmation from Jaden Newton himself publicly that he intends to come to LSU, but when you are a top 100 draft prospect and you get drafted in the second-to-last round at pick 582, that's normally a good indication that you had a number, they didn't meet it, and you will end up on campus. I'm not saying that what is that is what it will exactly happen, but that is a very strong indication of what normally happens. He might drag it out a little bit. The deadline is August the 1st. Maybe see which other guys don't sign it if that frees up money to get closer to his number. But I would expect a guy who was projected that high to have a pretty substantial number that I don't know if the Brewers can meet in in round 18, 19, especially when you look at what they drafted. A bunch of guys with leverage, a junior, a, 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 a sophomore from junior college, another junior, a high school senior, a junior, a junior a junior out of junior college. It wasn't until round seven where they drafted an actual senior. If they want to sign these guys, they've got to really, really have enough. I don't make the money work, right? Is there, and I don't know if they're going to have enough left for a guy like Jaden Newt. So probably a pretty good indication that you end up with that guy on campus. And another thing, he's shortchanging himself if he just takes what they can offer him when the process ends. Because Jaden Newt is a guy who could come in, compete for a starting role as a freshman in the rotation. He does that for three years successfully, could find himself first round, second round, and get a really nice payday in doing so. So I'd be fairly surprised if that guy doesn't end up here. Back to Carter Young. Carter Young's the same way. When Carter Young transferred to LSU, and I sat here and did the show, I told you, I told you then, He's here to work with Jay Johnson. It's the only logical logical explanation. Carter Young's defense is fantastic. He's a guy that could theoretically stick at shortstop at the next level. The power is fantastic. Hit 15 home runs as a sophomore. He was great. He was great. But the average and the swing and miss is kind of holding him back. He's here for Jay Johnson to fix that. Because before this season, he struggled so mightily at the plate. Carter Young was a first-round pick. He was projected to be a first-round pick. Come work with Jay, get that fixed, be your first-round pick again. That's what I've always thought about with Carter Young. I, I still think that. Now, he has not publicly made a, a declaration either. Maybe he'll wait wait it out. Your deadline is August 1st. Maybe he'll wait it out. But I would just be very surprised if that guy doesn't end up here because he's leaving so much of his potential just for one more year in college where I really do believe he's a first-round pick next year. If he comes in, works with Jay, and stays healthy and, and gets those numbers up. And I believe Jay can get those numbers up. So we'll see how that goes. And that's it, y'all. Everybody else, you're getting to campus. Now, I want to put this into perspective for you, okay? Because 
man, we've all talked, right, about how great this class was. One of the greatest classes of all time. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's funny because, because of that, there was so much anxiety around this one, around this draft. Because you knew what it could mean. And the Friday before the draft got underway, we did our preview where we looked at the signing class. And we talked about them potentially being gutted. And I sat right here and I told you, you're going to lose guys. But you will not be gutted. And here is my reasoning for that. Number one, Jay did a lot of great work in the transfer portal before the draft to supplement positions of need and positions that maybe you could potentially lose in the draft. He went out and got back up on the mound knowing this class was stacked with pitchers and you could lose people. And you lost Robbie Snelling. And you lost Michael Kennedy. The other reasons were Jay's words. Why I was so confident. The other reasons were Jay's words. Three different cuts. Two of them we played on that episode. One of them we've played plenty. That's the one from November 10th, 2021, when he announced this signing class. And on that day, in November of 2021, when he stood up on the, at the podium and said, there are guys in this class that would be almost disappointed if they didn't end up at LSU. There are, there are guys that will turn down $2 million to come play at LSU. He said that in November. And he was right. He was confident enough to say it then because he knew. He, and he ended up being right. There were plenty of guys in this class that did that. In his wrap-up press conference for, this, for the regular season, about a month out from the draft, he had these two things to say. He said, number one, no one player in this draft is going to hold our program hostage. We're not going to wait around. We'll go back out into the transfer portal and, and address the need. And that's after what you had seen him do <laughs> in, in, previously in the month of June, getting Tommy, uh, Tommy Tanks and Jack Pineda and Carter Young and, and Christian Little and all those guys at will getting them. You weren't going to have confidence in that guy potentially, you know, oh, if you lose a, a few more than you thought to go replace him. I did. You saw him do it last year too. When LSU lost the top four out of their class in a transition year, Jay replaces them the best that he could with the portal. And the other thing he said that same day, about a month out of the draft, is there's four. There's four that we know for sure we're not getting. And when it all boils down to it, you probably won't get six. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're going to get two-thirds of this number one class on campus. And it's not just, it's not just the number one class. It's one of the best classes of all time, and it's a class just littered with talent, okay? Number one class, number one class, 
and LSU stands to get five top 50 prospects in the country out of high school per perfect game. Five top 50 prospects. Let me put that into context for you, okay? Vanderbilt, they had the second-ranked class in the country. They had seven top 50 prospects. Vanderbilt is going to get one to campus. One. For sure. I'm looking at Ryan Clifford here. He was drafted in the 11th round. I'd imagine they found enough money for him at that spot, and he goes. That would leave Vanderbilt with one out of seven. That's being gutted. That is being gutted. What LSU was, that ain't gutted. Not gutted. LSU, again, had nine top 50 prospects in this class. They stand to get five of them. Half. More than half. It's a ridiculous amount of talent coming in, adding to an already stacked roster. It went remarkably well for LSU. It could not have gone better, in my opinion. It could not have gone better, and especially the arms that you bring into campus now. And look, we're about to get into roster numbers or whatnot, but I just I do want to talk about some of these guys individually. I mean, you're getting Chase Shores. Y'all, Chase Shores can come in and compete immediately and can contribute immediately, and he wants to do it in a starting role. He spoke to the local news station in Midland. He wants to do it in a starting role, whether it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Tuesday. That's what he wants. That guy could be very, very good. 98-mile-an-hour fastball from a 6'8", 250 righty who's going to be here for three years. Fantastic. Again, I would imagine you get Jaden Newt. That's a guy who can compete for a spot in your rotation immediately. 95-mile-an-hour righty, big frame, 6'4", 235. Got some secondary stuff working already. You look at Aiden Moffitt. Number one right-handed pitcher in the state of Mississippi. Hey, you got him. You know, he's tweeted out that he's coming to school. He was up to 99 miles per hour on May 7th of this year by scouts. But what's even more exciting is the left-handed pitching that you were able to secure. Nate Ackenhausen, the junior college transfer. He'll be here. He's going to be pretty darn good. Heck of a bullpen piece to add as a veteran, mind you. He's played Juco ball. That guy's played college baseball. Griffin Herring, lefty. He's going to compete and contribute immediately for LSU, whether as a bullpen arm or as a starter. He's the number four left-handed pitcher in the entire state of Texas. You know how damn big the state of Texas is? And he's already got three pitches. Change-ups, the second best pitch, the slider, really came on senior year at South Lake Carroll. Nick Bronzini, the number two-ranked left-handed pitcher in California. He's already here in summer school. Mid-90s fastball. That's going to play. And you might say, well, it sounds like the staff could be young. And that is a fair concern. And they will be young in spots. And there are questions but you brought in a nice crop of junior college arms. A guy like Caleb Appleby, who's throwing 97 and has experience pitching in college baseball, albeit junior college. 
We mentioned Nate Ackenhouse. Adrian, Serva- Adrian Savano, another guy. Junior college, he was a Cape Cod All-Star League. Excuse me, he was a Cape Cod League All-Star. The best collegiate league in the country. That guy's got experience. He can come in and be a veteran for you, hopefully, on this team. I think you have a nice mix. That's where we can kind of get into roster outlook here. And, you know, you look at the bullpen and you bring in those guys that we just mentioned. You know, Newt, Shores, Moffitt, Bronzini, uh, Micah Buckman, who's going to be is going to be very, very good. Very, very good. And you get excited when you add that with what you have coming back. Because you do have a nice veteran core. A guy like Ty Floyd. A guy like Riley Cooper. A guy like Bryce Collins. Sam Dutton and Grant Taylor pitched a lot for you as freshmen. They need to take the next step, but... Watch out for them as sophomore. They could really come through and be a veteran. You've got a guy like Blake Money who's going to be in his third year here. Yeah, he needs to take a step forward and be more consistent, but it's another great veteran presence. You do have veteran options to mix with the young, talented arms who are going to push those veterans to get even better because I'm going to tell you right now, I really don't think there's an arm in LSU's class that can't come here right now and compete immediately. LSU's had some pretty darn good freshman pitchers in recent memory. Think back to a guy like Eric Walker or or a guy like Alex Lang. They came in and dominated as freshmen. Lang went undefeated as a freshman. LSU's got all SEC freshmen and freshman All-American arms on this staff. It's just who's going to emerge. So you should be excited about it. There should be high expectation, and we're going to get to that expectation momentarily. Offensively, You should be over the moon right now. Over the moon. You throw a guy like Christian, uh, before we get to the offense one more time, Christian Little, he's pitched two years of college baseball. That's another veteran you can add in there for the the arms. Now offense, over the moon excited. You got three catchers to campus. I thought maybe you'd get two. But you got Brady Neal, Jared Jones, and Ethan Fry all to campus. All of them were ranked in the top one, the top like one, in the top two hundred draft prospects. So all of them could have been taken in those first ten rounds. None of them went. Signability wasn't there. They wanted to be here. And now you also see why there was no catcher address in the transfer portal. Jay knew he was getting two. I think Jay knew he was at least getting two out of that group. Jared Jones is already here. Ethan Fry's here. Brady Neal arrives late this week. And you're going to have a hell of a battle in that position, fall camp, and spring practice. Because it is not just cut and dry that it is Alex Malazzo's. Those guys are going to push Alex Malazzo. They're going to push Hayden Travinsky. And Brady Neal's got a great chance to be your opening day starter at catcher, I think. He's just that talented. It's that complete. Kylie McDaniel has him as the 44th best player in the draft. A guy ranked that highly, it's going to be tough to beat him out because he's just he's such a complete player. Defense and the bat. Then you have the infield battle and Gavin Guidry. 
who makes it to campus. Another. He's not a top 50 player, but he was number 65, according to Perfect Game. He can contribute on the mound or in the infield. Shortstop by trade. LSU's looking for one of those, aren't they? You look at the infield, man, and it could just, you have so many different combinations now. So many. And it's just going to be hard for a guy like Gavin Guidry, who's a draft-eligible sophomore now, by the way, to not find a role there somewhere. I still think Carter Young, if he makes it to campus, decides to not take that 15th-round money, which, again, I think he ends up here. I think he's your short, starting shortstop. I do. And you figure out the rest. The infield is jumbled, and we will have plenty of conversations about it. But if you get Carter Young here, to me, he is your starting shortstop because he's the only player on your roster right now that is one tool away from a first-rounder there. Gavin Gidry could absolutely end up being a first-rounder. Wouldn't shock me in the least. But Carter Young's played, you know, two years of college baseball. He's slightly ahead of him. That's all I mean. Jordan Thompson, what do you do with him? It's a great question. Look, Jordy, I'll tell you this. Jordan Thompson spent the majority of his time in the Cape Cod League at third base. I'm not telling you that's where he'll play next year at LSU, but I'm also telling you that is not by accident. They're wanting to get a look at him at third base. And Jordan Thompson... As a freshman, that was the first position he played at LSU, was third base before being moved to shortstop. He's capable of doing it. Now, maybe you see more of it in in fall ball and they move away from it. Maybe they haven't liked what they've seen in the Cape so far and they move away from it totally and you put him at second and you try somebody like Guidry or or Tommy Tanks at third base. But you are probably also going to see Tommy White place him first. You'll probably see him DH. I think you'll see him in those three different spots. Because the outfield's crowded, too. Gavin Dugas will be back. Maybe you move him to the infield and let Paxton Clean go out there and play in left. Or Josh Stevenson. But you know Cruz is going to be out there, and you know Josh Pearson's going to be out there. Oh, by the way, you're also bringing in Mick Paul, the number one outfielder from Utah, who is all speed. And then the number two player in the state of Louisiana in Zeb Rudell, who's also an outfielder. They are loaded. And Jay's going to go through a lot more of that legal pad coming up with the best combination. Now, if you ask me right now what, what I would do if I had to draw up the opening day lineup right now, and keep in mind, this is... This is being recorded on July 22nd. We've got a long way to go to February. There's a lot of decisions that still need to be made. Guys on this team still have a lot of decisions to be made. But I would have Gavin Dugas in left, Cruz in center, Pearson in right. I would have Jordan Thompson at third, Carter Young at short, Gavin Guidry at second, Trey Morgan at first, Brady Neal behind the plate, and Tommy White as your DH. That's opening day in my mind right now. We got a long way to go and a lot of decisions that need to be made, and they got to get this roster down to a number, right? Because you keep hearing me just rattle off all these names, say, man, they're stacked, they're stacked, they're stacked. Okay, yeah, Moose, they're stacked, but there are limits, so how do they make it work? Well, and thank our pals at the NCAA for another crap rule, in all honesty. 
This is per D1Baseball.com, February 4th, 2022. For the 23 season, the NCAA is allowing programs to have a roster size anywhere from 35 to 40. But there are major caveats. For instance, any student athlete beyond 35, so if you're in the 35 to 40 range, would have to lose their season to COVID back in 2020. Furthermore, teams will be allowed to have anywhere from 27 to 32 players on scholarship. However, anyone in that 28 to 32 range will have the same caveat as above. They would have had to have lost their 2020 season to COVID. They would have to be, you know, have a COVID year. This mostly only would apply to super seniors on the roster next year, right? Guys who lost the COVID. Additionally, those players who count as extra roster spots and counters would count against a team's 11.7 and would be required to have 25% of a scholarship. So, basically, they want you at 35 this year, but they're giving you the leniency to still go to 40. But the guys who take up those spots on your team, where it's 35 through 40, have to be using the COVID year, or at least have to have a COVID year. And if they happen to fall into the 28 to 32 range on guys you have scholarship on, they have to have the COVID year and they have to count against your scholarship and get 25%. If you're in that 35 to 40 range, you don't have to be on scholarship. But the difference here now is the 25% rule is back in effect. It was not. It was not this past season. So it makes it difficult to craft the roster for Jay Johnson. But just looking at it solely at numbers, going into the draft, LSU was at, last season, I should say, last season, LSU was at 43. You could still kind of have it unlimited. To an extent. Going into the draft, LSU is at 30. After the draft, when you take out, you know, Pineda and Tabrock and everything and, and whatnot, you're at 28. Because those guys count for your transfers and whatnot. You go look at your class, who you're actually going to get out of it, who's heading off to the draft. By my count right now, LSU for sure is at 43. It could be 44 once you get the final decisions on everybody else. So they're three or four guys over the limit. Now LSU does have a lot of COVID seniors, a lot of COVID guys. Dugas is in a COVID year, he's a super senior. Malazzo, Beloso, like those, you can keep those guys. Jobert, Merrifield. LSU has eight guys on this roster right now with COVID years. So there's ways to make this work. Because some of them aren't necessarily in the super senior category. They could they don't have to fall into that, you know, five to forty range. But a lot of these guys are super seniors. So they can make that work. But you are going to see more turnover on the roster. Because they have to get down to at least 40. And they'd love you to be at 35, but LSU. I don't see them getting to 35. 40 is probably their number. And they'll utilize the COVID years that they have left on this staff. So you're going to be stacked. And you're going to have leadership. 
It's definitely possible. And if Jaden Newt decides to take his money in the 19th round by some off chance, and Carter Young decides to do the same, well, those are two players you lost, and, and you're down to 42. 40, 41 or 42, and you only have to make two cuts. It's not as monumental just from a number standpoint, figuring out, you know, who belongs and who doesn't. That's the much harder part, and that's the part that I'm very glad I don't have to participate in, and that, 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 that's Jay Johnson's role. Um, Man, I've gone really long here. I told you, I was really excited about this one. I will say this going forward. This class changes everything. Um, I don't mean to heap unreachable expectation on this team in July, but it's kind of hard not to with what you're bringing in and what you have coming back and the work that Jay Johnson has done to build this, this, this team. And LSU will be a top five team preseason next year. Book it. Book it. They're too talented not to be. Is that maybe a tad over over ambitious? Yeah, it is. It is. Because you haven't seen this group play together. But based off potential, that's where they belong and it's where they're going to be. And there is just heavy weight of expectation and a lot of pressure on the kids and on Jay to win now, bringing this in. If LSU is not in Omaha next year, it is a bitter disappointment. It, it really is. Because this is the most talent that LSU has had on a baseball team, 1 through 40, in a long, long time. To where you're potentially going to have top 50 players in the country sitting on the bench. So there's reason to be very excited, and there's reason to have high expectation, and I do not blame you one bit for having it. You should. And they want that as well. They want that expectation. Now you have to go out there and live up to the expectation. And they'll have a great chance in a very tough league, but they'll have a great chance if everything comes together. Everything has been so calculated by Jay Johnson. Look at Thatcher Hurd. Thatcher Hurd had that injury that cut his freshman year short. LSU took their time in acquiring that kid. They went through the process. You know they feel good about him that he should be able to pitch next year. And if he is, and if he stays healthy, you got a Friday night guy right there. Ty Floyd continues to take the steps he did at the end of this year with the changeup, with the breaking ball. You know the fastball's there. You have a weekend guy there. And as we said, all those freshmen, you like the back end of your bullpen potentially setting up with, you know, maybe like a Caleb Appleby out of junior college. Definitely Riley Cooper. Definitely a Bryce Collins. Maybe even a Grant Taylor if he takes that next step. You like the potential there. With all this potential, again, comes the high expectation. They have it, and it's deserved, and don't shy away from it. This LSU team, if everything falls right, they could win the national championship. That's where they are right now, just year two under Jay Johnson. Now you have to go out there and do it, and because that is a realistic expectation of this club, it's going to be disappointing if they fall short but not the end of the world because a lot of this team will be back next year and you'll be a favorite again next year and the year after that because they're not going to slow down recruiting. They're not going to slow down getting kids to campus and you've got three years with a lot of these kids, two with some, but three with a lot. 
there is immense pressure to win a national championship, I, I believe, in the next two years at LSU for Jay Johnson. Because for two years is when you'll have the majority of this crop of talent on campus. We'll see if they can go get it done. Man, it is exciting, exciting times. This is the longest podcast we've ever done, I'm pretty sure, too, by the way. But, man, felt warranted. Fired up. Fired up. I mean, look, SEC football media day is just wrapped, and I'm already still just like, okay, baseball season. The LSU football opens camp in 13 days. Baseball season. Let's go. Like, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. It's just been that type of offseason where it's gone so remarkably well for LSU. It really couldn't have gone better. So, here's to it, man. Can't wait for fall practice. Can't wait to see these guys out on the field uh, in October and November. This has been another edition of Musso at the Box. Get subscribed to the pod, Apple, Spotify, Google. Find us wherever you can. Subscribe up. Set notifications. Follow me on Twitter, at Musso Matthew. It's all so much appreciated. You listening is appreciated. You interacting is appreciated. I enjoy doing it. Can't wait to do the next one. But until then, we say goodbye.